Good evening and a warm welcome to the service this evening. We're going to begin this time of worship again uh, with us in prayer in Gaelic, please. Agus <laughs> 
Agus <laughs> 
the spirit in a cup of Kukumako, an armis, can the miscalloy, can make it the Yerevashadishoin, Mohol, Elkvalu head, Maladish Kahamazuas, Uskar Horoho, Natirin, Nagas Guyushin, Nadahau Henukur, Uoloch, Sluger, Kamega, Nagamohol Kujok, Elkvalu Nuoloshin, Erehorain, Edition Luoi, Nagaskavalatukuya Sakuni, Erehon. Gemütliche <laughs> A cock, sirage, the commission you grew here a kind of hook, er the Lord Fach, er faggot here. Pianishin comes suasin, Maginar Peck the Nulu, Nulu Yorish and Sananamagas that scarth used. Amen. Amen. If you could turn now in your Bibles, please, to Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and Solomon, the writer, remember, is looking in on uh, the world and he's trying to make sense uh, of the meaning of life. And why we do what we do. And so he writes at verse 4. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbour. This also is vanity and striving after wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. Again I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother. Yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold called. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been poor, born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after wind. Amen. And may God bless the reading of his word to us. Just as we turn back to Ecclesiastes chapter 4, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that we have sang. We thank you for that psalm and uh, the blessing that there is as we read it and as we sing it and as we experience it in our lives. We thank you that Jesus, your son, uh, is the good shepherd, the one who laid down his life for the sheep. And we thank you that when we are trusting in Jesus, we, we are not in want Uh, but we have everything that we need in Christ. We think of the the words of the Apostle Paul that we've sang a paraphrase of, uh, uh, the fact that when we are knowing Jesus, we have everything. Uh, We think uh, on all the things that we perhaps chased in the earlier part of our lives and the things that sometimes we can be distracted by again, uh, this world's riches. And yet we acknowledge, Lord, that they are uh, but rubbish in comparison with knowing Christ, and we pray that each one of us would know Jesus here, 
And if there's anyone who doesn't, Lord, that even tonight we would hear the invitation to come and to be in Christ. And for those who are in Christ, we pray that you would draw us closer, that we would experience more of the blessing and more of the joy and more of the peace, more of the contentment, more of the rest uh, that we receive as we are in close walk with you. We ask, Lord, that uh, you would speak to our hearts and that uh, you would minister to us, uh, applying the word to our own lives and the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray for Gordon as he uh, preaches this evening in Leverborough and as uh, the Church of Scotland and the Free Church and the APC come together for that service, we pray that there would be blessing and that you would give Gordon the words to say and that uh, Jesus would be lifted up in the midst and many would be drawn uh, to him. We pray for the YF tonight as well. Uh, we ask, Lord, for safety for any who might travel to the meeting. And we pray that uh, you would be with these young ones. We thank you for the desire that they have to come together around your word. We thank you, Lord, for the evidences that we believe of, of uh, your spirit at work in the lives uh, of some of these young ones. And we pray that in their early days that they would remember you, that they would trust you, and that they would know your hand upon them. We pray again for them this week with exams. Uh, coming up, we pray for those who prepare to go back to, to college and university. We pray for those who remain here and uh, continue in courses as well. And at a difficult and uh, busy time of the year, we pray that you would help them to look to you, to lean upon you, and uh, to trust you uh, as they work. We pray that uh, you would be with those who desire to be here tonight, but who can't be, uh, many who are ill at this time, some who are struggling with their mobility, uh, some who will be wrestling with the difficulty of the weather as well. And we ask, Lord, that uh, you would bless each person that has the desire to be here, but who, who can't be, uh, that you would minister to them in their own homes. And for others who perhaps can be, but uh, just have no desire, uh, we pray for them and we ask, Lord, that you would draw near to them. We don't look down on any such person because we confess that we have often been there with them. And so we ask, Lord, that you would touch their hearts as we pray that you would touch our hearts. We pray for those who are out on the roads tonight, uh, and who will be out tomorrow morning in the early hours, that you would keep them safe. Uh, we thank you for them. We often take for granted those who, who uh, keep our roads clear, uh, those who respond when there is an emergency, uh, those who minister to us in our medical need. Uh, we pray for all those that you have given uh, that uh, ministry to, and we ask, Lord, that you would bless them and uh, equip them, especially over uh, this season. We pray now that you would continue with us and that you would go before us and that you would speak to us. Take away our sin, uh, we pray. Empty us of self, fill us with the Holy Spirit. Help us to see Jesus. We pray this in his name and for his sake. Amen. When I came to study this chapter, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, uh, in my own mind, it's structured a little bit like a, a dartboard and the sermon is going to be structured a bit like a, a dartboard. A lot of Hebrew texts uh, have the kind of structure where the main point is right in the middle. You know, we tend to think when we write, uh, that the, the main point, uh, we'll outline it at the beginning, uh, we'll, we'll summarize it at the end, and we'll kind of make an argument in the middle part. But in the Hebrew text, there's a whole lot of uh, argument in the surrounding area, but the main point very often is right in the middle. It's, uh, it's in, the, in the bullseye. And if you think about Ecclesiastes 4 uh, in that kind of way, the bullseye in Ecclesiastes 4, and if you've got it open in front of you, you'll find it helpful. Uh, the bullseye is verses 9 to 12. That's the positive. That's the main thing that we're, that we're aiming to get to. And all the verses around it show us how much we need the bullseye, how much we need to be in verses 9 to 12. So, so for the sermon, just to 
give you the structure of it. I want to look at all the other verses first. All the things that Solomon, as he, as he looks at the world and as he uh, gathers his thoughts together, uh, he, he makes many remarks about uh, negatives, things that he sees that are meaningless. So I want to think about these things first, and then we'll try to finish on the bullseye, verses 9 to verse 12. So uh, four points I think I have in the time that we have uh, tonight. And the first point that we have is uh, there's no rest for the envious. No rest for the envious. And that's verses 4 to 6. It's Solomon's first observation. He says, Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better, says Solomon, is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. So in verse 4, Solomon, he mentions uh, the word envy. And the thing with envy, I don't think I need to describe what envy is, because uh, whether we're three years old or whether we're 93, we know about envy. The thing about envy is it can consume almost anyone. There was that famous quote from the the, the U.S. oil tycoon uh, Rockefeller. He was one of the first uh, businessmen to to hit oil. And uh, he was rich beyond words, and he was earning more and more and more money. And one day he was interviewed by a a TV reporter, and the reporter asked him, you know, you you have so much money now, tell me how much, Mr. Rockefeller, how much is enough? And he responded by saying, just a few dollars more. See, envy can still grip and consume those uh, who are super rich, like the U.S. oil tycoon. But envy can also uh, grip those who who have, have next to nothing. And they're looking on at people who have so much more than them. And, and they're not happy for them. They're just consumed with envy because, because they want what that guy has. And so envy drives them to chase him. And envy can uh, come in many currencies. Um, many uh, will struggle with, uh, with, a, with a sense of envy because they want more money. There's a love of, of money. But envy could also be... It could also come out in us wanting a, a better job. We look at somebody else and they have the job that's just ahead of the job that, that we have. And, and we want it. So we're not happy that they have it. We're consumed with envy because, because we want to have it. Or we might look at another family and, and, and look at the, the way they get on so well. And they've got all these pictures on, on uh, Facebook or Instagram or, or whatever from Christmas. And they're, they're playing board games and they all have a smile. And it all looks so peaceful and so tranquil. And we, we think, if only my Christmas had been like that. The reality is their Christmas wasn't like that either. They just got a snapshot of two minutes of peace. But we can look at another family and we can, we can say, if only I had that, there's envy. Or we can look at a nicer car and think, I wish I didn't have a Volkswagen up. I wish I had a Golf GTI Mark II Oak Green 16 valve. And envy drives me to say that. When I, I uh, did the, the children's talk about the, the Golf GTI, I'm not sure who it was that said it to me, um, but they said See when, see, when you put the pictures on the screen, I was sure you were going to talk about envy. And I could have, very easily. Even things like, he's not sitting in front of me tonight, um, but Gordon's hair. Stuart's sitting in front of me tonight. Thank you, Stuart, for the encouragement. <laughs> but let me tell you about Wednesday night. The, the prayer meeting, the kids' prayer meeting before the main prayer meeting, uh, we, were, we were on the kids' prayer meeting and Lois and I were in the study. And uh, just at the end of it, once we clocked out, uh, Lois said, Dad... I said, yes. She said, do you think Gordon uses really expensive product to keep his hair looking so thick and, and dark? And I said, Lois, I, I don't know. I don't think so, sadly. 
but there was a wave of envy that crashed in on my soul. So uh, envy comes in many kind of shapes and sizes. And in verse 4, Solomon, he sees this, this person of industry. And they're working and they're working and they're working. But what drives them to work is not a desire to do a, a, an amazing job. It's not to, a desire to, to, to make a, a difference in the world. What drives them to work with such fury is a sense of envy. They want to be one up on the next guy. Then you've got the contrast in, in verse 5. And Solomon, he, he points the, the finger and he shows us the, the idle person. He's just sitting on his hands. He's, he, he's doing nothing. And the reason he's doing nothing, because he's realized that he's not ever going to get as much as the guy that he has envy towards. And so he just gives up. He taps out and he sits on his hands. And what we find him uh, doing in uh, verse 4 is uh, he, he, he's eating his hands. He's eating his own flesh. He's in a self-destructive state. That's the point that's been made in that uh, section. Wearsby, the commentator, uh, says the industrious man was motivated by competition. And caught in the rat race of life. He had no leisure time. The idle man was motivated by pleasure. And was headed for, for ruin. And so there's two extremes in verses uh, 4 and verses 5. And Solomon concludes in verse 6. That it's better to have balance. It's better not to be driven by envy. It's better to have balance and have contentment. It kind of ties in with uh, the verse in, in Proverbs chapter 30. Which Solomon also wrote. Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. And it says there, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So the first thing that we see in this section is that there, there is no rest for the envious. If we're driven by envy, we'll never have rest. We'll never have satisfaction. We'll always be working or we'll get so exasperated, we'll, we'll do nothing. We'll be just mobilized, immobilized by, by this envy that consumes us. Second point here, the second observation that Solomon makes is uh, there's no pleasure in loneliness. Verses 7 and 8. Again, I saw vanity under the sun, says Solomon. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling? And depriving myself of pleasure. This also is vanity and an unhappy business. And probably most of us, as we read verses 7 and 8, can think of someone who fits this, this picture. Uh, it, it could be a, a relative or a, a friend uh, who, who's made it big, who's, who's got loads of money. It could be a, a celebrity uh, who's been interviewed in a newspaper and they're being asked about their life and uh, the people or the lack of people that are around them. It could be... It could be a fictional character. I was reading or I was listening to the audiobook before Christmas of uh, A Christmas Carol. And you can see Ebenezer Scrooge in verses 7 and 8. Uh, he has all this money. He has this hugely successful business. And he's absolutely alone. He's got no pleasure in anything that he, he owns. He's got no one to share it with. There's no pleasure in loneliness. God has, has made us to be, to be social beings. Genesis chapter 2 and verses 18, uh, God says of Adam, it's not good for the man to be alone. We have been made to be in community. We get encouragement from being together. And that's why if we're healthy and if we're mobile and if we're not snowed in, it's good to be here together. There is encouragement in being physically together in the room rather than sitting uh, somewhere with a, a screen on and, Six other things on in the background. I remember one evening when we were coming into 
to road to recovery. Uh, Duncan McSween and I were, were just wandering in. And Peggy and, and Marion actually had, were wandering out. They'd been doing something in the church and they were heading out. And Duncan had a chat, uh, three or four minutes, just chatting away with them, um, talking away and just laughing. And then he came in and uh, I was at the kettle. And he, and he looked at me and he says, he says, you know, when I came in this evening, I didn't fancy coming out and I just felt quite down. But just two or three minutes. And he says, I just feel so good now. And that's the reality of, of what we can do for each other. There is encouragement in being together. So we're told in Hebrews not to get out of the habit of meeting together. There's encouragement spiritually and there's, there's pleasure uh, relationally when we, when we share life with each other. When you think about it, you, you, you enjoy a good meal. You taste something and it's delicious. And the first thing you want to do is you want to tell somebody. You want to share the recipe. You want them to taste it too. Or you watch a film or you just finished a, a box series and you've really enjoyed it. So the first thing you do is you text someone and you say, you should watch this. Because there's pleasure in, in the, the sense of doing things together. But this person that Solomon describes in verse 7, he, he has no other. He's isolated. He's lonely. And he's working furiously. And he's making more and more and more money. And yet verse 8 says he's never satisfied with all the riches. He has no pleasure in it. And Solomon is looking in his life and he's, he's asking this man, why do you do what you do? Why are you living this way? And it's a story that could be told over and over again. There are so many lives that are just consumed with work. There's so many lives where we are, are, are accumulating so much stuff. And the bank account is climbing. But as the bank account climbs and as promotion is reached, the number of people around you just reduces. The relationships that we have start to, to, to break down. Some of the, the, the richest, richest and most uh, materially successful people are the saddest, uh, loneliest people. And Solomon looks in on that kind of life and uh, he, he shows us that there's no pleasure in that kind of life. There's no pleasure in uh, gaining the whole world and yet being absolutely lonely and isolated. Solomon is saying to us, uh, don't look at the super rich and the super successful and don't want their life because there's no pleasure in that kind of life. Think about Zacchaeus. It's a man who has loads of money. He's a top job. He's a, a tax collector. He has no end of earning capacity and yet he's miserable. He's climbing up a tree because he wants to see Jesus. And that's ultimately where we've been pointed. And we'll, we'll get there in just a minute. Uh, there's no pleasure in loneliness. There's no pleasure in, in that sense of envy that's driving us to accumulate more because we've been made for more than that. We've been made to be in relationship with each other. We've been made to be in relationship with God. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in relationship with God. Third point, third negative, last negative. There's no security for uh, the ambitious. Now, there's a bit of variation in the translations uh, here because uh, the Hebrew text, I'm told by the scholars, is, is quite a difficult text to decipher. But I'm, I'm taking one approach and you can just follow along with me. Uh, verse 13, better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. And in the ESV, certainly, as I'm stepping through this, uh, we see Solomon introducing two characters to us. And uh, first of all, as we, as we look in here, we, we see a king. And this king uh, once was wise and powerful, but as the years rolled on, he became, to use Solomon's words, old and foolish. Once he listened, once he took counsel, and now he listens to no one. We can just imagine him 
getting frustrated the first time anybody challenges anything in, in his way of thinking and, and throwing all the, the, the toys out of the pram, losing his temper. He's become old, he's foolish, he doesn't listen, and yet he doesn't step down from the place of power. So that's character number one that Solomon introduces us to, this, this rich, this cranky elderly king. And then in the background... Uh, There's another man, and this is a wise young man, and he's from a poor background. He's done time in prison, and it seems that this man has gone from prison to the throne, and he replaces this once powerful king, verses 14 and 15. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. And so you have the second character who goes from rags to riches. You go, he goes from a place of poverty uh, to a place of power and, and popularity. And in verse 16, Solomon says, there was no end of all the people, or all of whom he led. And so Solomon, he, he shows us the contrast between these two characters. And yet uh, he, he gives us that shot of reality as he continues, because he says, yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. So he says, this king, who was in prison and who's released and who goes from prison to the place of power, he eventually too will go from the place of power and back down the line. Someone else will replace him. He will have to step down. He will be out of favor. He will be forgotten. And so Solomon, uh, he concludes, surely this is vanity also and a striving after wind. And uh, this happens everywhere. Um, we We don't have to look just at two kings to see uh, the lesson this this happens in business all the time uh, people can go from being uh, the ceo to having a p45 all because of one bad decision this happens in sport you see rising stars on the football field but one bad tackle one injury uh, and, and they're off and they're forgotten even ronaldo one of these days he's going to have to retire happens in the world of celebrity there are people uh, who who so quickly move from being beautiful and desirable to being past it of no media interest you can get uh, celebrities who are who are the flavor of the month they step into the jungle uh, they, they express one opinion that's out of human out of uh, uh, out of the way of the current thinking they're done they're finished and solomon is qualified to speak about this he's the the richest wisest most successful man in that place at that time and yet he's teaching us that there is no security for uh, the ambitious the successful because it all comes to an end for some sooner and for some uh, later so these are the negatives no rest for the envious no pleasure in loneliness no security uh, for the ambitious and now we come to the positive now we come to the bullseye and in verses 9 to verse 12 we can summarize that as that there is no lack for those who are in christ verse 9 two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now you might read through these verses and say, where is Christ? Where Where is Jesus? In this section, and, and strictly speaking, Jesus is not mentioned in these verses, but, but everything in this book, in fact, everything in this book, everything in the Bible, is pointing us to Jesus. 
So in this section, there's a, there's a lesson which applies to the person. Uh, at, uh, there's, a, there's a lesson in each of these verses that applies to this at the kind of human person-to-person relational level. Lessons that we, we do well to take note of. But these lessons, which apply at the human level, they find their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. So as we have done in each one of these studies, we want to, we want to note these lessons and follow the thread along through to Jesus. So let's just, in the time that we have left, which is just a couple of minutes, just five minutes or so, let's just step through these verses and lessons to help us appreciate and rejoice the blessings uh, that we have if we are in Christ. So verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. And that's true. That's a sensible lesson. We would all agree with that. That's true in business. You can have more impact as a, as a partner uh, than, than being a sole trader. And so there's more reward. But I suppose in business, the reward will depend on who you partner with. Because there are some partnerships that are formed that fall apart because of the, the lack of partnership. And any reward that we make in, in the business world, it will expire ultimately. Because it's only as good as, as an experience in this world. And yet, the truth is there. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. Now, take that lesson and think about, think about Jesus. If we have Jesus with us, if we are in Christ, if, if Jesus is our Savior and Lord, if he's our King, if he's our partner, then he is the perfect partner because he is good all of the time. And he is true. And he is powerful. And he's kind. And he's gentle. And he's gracious and he's loving and he's unselfish. And he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. And the reward that we receive for all that we do with him in his name, for his glory, it has no expiry date. It's an eternal reward. Verse 10. If they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. So Solomon, again, he he gives us another picture. He he teaches us another uh, human lesson. And uh, let's just think about the lesson for a moment. It's not a a hard lesson to to process. Imagine uh, being on a hill walk up the back of Gillivall and uh, it starts to get icy. And you trip and you fall and you you break your ankle. If you're on your own, there's big trouble. It's a situation of woe. If you're on your own and there's no mobile phone and there's no connection and there's no one close to you, that's a disaster situation. But if you have a fellow with you, then there's help because they can carry you. They can support you. They can, they can, go, and, they can go and get help if we're, if we're needing help. And, and that's a life lesson. If we're on our own, we're in trouble. If we fall and we're isolated, uh, we are in a situation of woe. But if we have a fellow with us, then there's hope. So how does the gospel apply to this? Well, think about the fall. We did fall. Every one of us has fallen with, with Adam. We have fallen into sin. And if we're on our own... We can't get up. If we are on our own this evening, in our sin, in our fallen state, there is nothing ahead of us apart from eternal woe. That's the truth of the scripture. That's the bad news. But the good news is that Jesus has come to us. And in the gospel, Jesus, he offers to lift us up. We sang it this morning in Psalm 40. If we are in Christ, if we take the hand of Jesus, then we have salvation. He lifts us up. He puts us in that stable, solid, rock place. He gives us security. He gives us hope that's eternal. In Christ alone, our hope is found. We'll sing in just a moment or two. Let's move on to to verse 11. Again, says Solomon, if two lie together, they keep warm. 
but how can one keep warm alone? So there's a physical lesson there again, which isn't a hard lesson to, uh, to figure out. I always move the chairs after the morning service from over there, or somebody does. Because uh, if all the chairs are out on a cold winter's evening, I can guarantee when I come in here at five past six, there's people sitting all around the edges of the church and everybody, uh, everybody in the place is freezing because we're all scattered. So when these chairs are gone, we're all brought together and there's a bit more warmth. Now the picture that Solomon's probably picking up on is uh, the picture of shepherds who travelled long journeys and it got cold at night and they, they didn't have uh, puffer jackets. They didn't have the things that we have and so the only way that they could keep warm uh, was through body heat. And Solomon is, is picking up on, on that picture. If you're freezing and you're on your own, then you won't last long. But if you're with someone, uh, then you can keep warm. And we can take that picture uh, one step further as we think about the, the church. Uh, the church is not a building, the church is people. If we try and do Christianity on our own, if we don't do church, or if we stop having fellowship, very quickly our hearts grow cold because we need the warmth and encouragement of each other, like the, the coal in the, in the fire remains warm, the coal on the hearth very quickly is freezing. So we can take that verse, that principle, and apply it spiritually to the church, but we can take this verse further still because it leads us to Jesus, the king and the head of the church. See, the, the, the warmth and the intimacy that our souls long for, we taste it when we're with each other, when we are Christians, but we experience it in fullest measure when we are in union with Jesus, when we are close with Jesus, when we have that sense of being in the presence of Christ. In verse 12, finally, though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord. I can't say that. I've tried three times and I failed three times. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Anna phoned me on, on Thursday night and she said, um, I've been invited to go out to a praise evening in, in Paisley, uh, at a church, and it starts at 6 and it finishes at 12. Do you think I should go? I said, what? No, I don't think you should go. You're coming back from Paisley at 12 o'clock on a bus on a Friday night on your own. Forget it. You're not going. And, and, and the lesson here is, is a lesson in the verse that's perfectly sensible and easy to process if you're on your own on a bus from paisley at midnight and you come under attack you have little hope but if there's two then there's a, a better chance of being okay and, and if there's three the odds are better still and if there's four or five or six or seven the odds keep going up but i suppose these odds depend on on who the three are and how strong and how brave they, they are and how powerful the attacker is so these are the human lessons that Solomon is, is pointing out as he encourages us to, to not be isolated but be together. But as we think about the spiritual lesson, think about this. What are the odds of us being overcome if we are in Christ? If we are on our own, if we are apart from Christ, then we will quickly be overcome. But if we are in Christ, will we be overcome? Well, listen to what Paul says in Romans 8 as we finish. Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written. 
Remember, Paul is writing to those who are being slaughtered. As it is written, for your sake, for Jesus' sake, we are being slaughtered. We are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And then God says to Paul, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there's no rest for the envious. There's no pleasure in loneliness. There's no lasting security for the ambitious. But there is no lack for those who are in Christ. So be in Christ. Come to Jesus and remain close to Jesus today and every day.